Welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast that dives deep into important topics and fosters understanding by exploring captivating interviews with diverse guests, where we discuss how their unique experiences have shaped them into the individuals they are today. This podcast is committed to having honest and thought-provoking conversations to arouse curiosity and convey essential messages of empathy, inclusion, and diversity, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I am thrilled to be welcoming the incredible Anna Klutz. Anna is a New York Times bestselling author, small business owner, and world traveler based in Paris. Her latest book, My Own Magic, A Reappearing Act, candidly navigates her travels and personal journey through a marriage breakdown, and ultimately how losing everything led her to find her own happiness and magic. In this conversation, we delve into the common tendency to shrink or compromise our dreams to please others navigating the joy and hopefulness found in feeling lost, and the transformative power of self-belief. We also discuss how her adorable me-cute in Paris led her to find love and happiness again, and the current projects Anna's working on, including the screenplay adaptation of the book she co-wrote with her sister, Live Your Life, My Story of Loving and Losing Nick Cordero. Make sure you check out the links in this episode's show notes to be able to find Anna's Instagram, website, and a link to purchase her book, My Own Magic, A Reappearing Act. Enjoy. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on For Your Listening Pleasure. I am very excited to talk to you um, just about your journey and everything that you have done, but I also absolutely loved your book, My Own Magic, A Reappearing Act. I devoured it, and I started reading it And then I ended up switching to Audible, which was even more enjoyable since you were the one reading it to me. So in a weird way, I feel like I know you because I've listened to your voice in my head for so long. But you dedicated this book to, for anyone who has ever felt invisible and needs to find their own magic. We'll dive into the story and your book, but what made you feel the desire to dedicate to all those who ever have felt in a way how you felt during these last 10 years? I I dedicated it. I made it that dedication because that's truly why I wrote this book. I went into the bookstore in the very first couple of days of my divorce when I really just felt so lost and scared and sad and, and like I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I just wanted to read something that I hoped would give me hope and make me sure that I was going to be able to get it together and make a life for myself that was far better than the life I just lost. And, um, and when I was, you know, going through the process of, of healing and writing and uh, creating this new life, I, I knew that the person I was writing this book for was, you know, the person I was that day. And I know, we all go through those moments where we feel like that's who we are in that moment. And we just want to read something inspiring. And to catch listeners up, even though I highly recommend reading the book and I'll put links uh, where they can purchase it in this episode show notes, your book really was therapeutic. You had began writing your book while you were in the middle of your divorce and trying to use it as a form to understand these experiences And what's common often with writing is you go through rounds of edits. And before you submitted the final version, during this process, did you find yourself omitting or altering any of the initial content that you had drafted while you were going through this? 
And also I understand you've always kept journals and we'll talk about your blogs that you've always had, but during this process, obviously it was therapeutic, but did you ever feel like, Ooh, I'm sharing too much, or I don't want to actually dive into this experience? No, I never felt like I was sharing too much. I actually, um, it was really important to me to not cut moments where I would reflect and be like, whoa, that's a lot to share, or that's really deep, or that's really honest. Like in the editing process, which only has to happen because I wrote, I wrote an 800 page book. My book was only allowed to be 300 pages. I wrote everything and I had to go back and edit out, um, you know, a lot of different stories and places, but what when in the process of doing that, you're really just trying to say what are the most important things that really support what this specific topic is and to really show the you know evolution of the story. So the things I cut out uh, had to go just because they didn't actually move, you know, they, they weren't supporting the main idea of this, which is really like, how do you get back in touch with yourself? How do you get out of a relationship that isn't right for you? And how do you find the strength to go build this new, you know, bigger, better, more magical life using this power that's already inside of you? Um, but what was cool is because I did write it and there there are excerpts in this book that I actually wrote while I was still married. It, they're, they're straight out of those journals you were talking about. Um, the chapter entitled Hoodwink, I had Hoodwinked. I started writing that a year before our divorce ever even happened. Um, so it was, if a lot of the editing was actually just looking back at many different pieces of writing and the way you feel about things evolves. And, you know, my book came out almost four years after my divorce. And so the way I felt about things evolved. If anything, the writing I changed went from like, parts of thing, things, things I wrote where I was just very clearly in pain and the writing itself evolved more into processing and understanding that event that had happened rather than just being so hurt by it. I was able to find the understanding in, you know, two years time of editing again and again and again. What I love though, is you really give us a good glimpse of your life. You talk about growing up in Ohio and falling in love with the French language. You talk about the first time you went to Paris with your sister and that trip was a little bit of a cluster since you lost luggage. And But regardless of whatever happened, you loved it. And you kept, every time you went to Paris, kept vowing that you were going to come back. You were going to live there, almost like you manifested it. But then when you were in New York City for college, you met your ex-husband at a dinner party, and it kind of seemed like that manifestation took a little bit of a backseat because here's this person who's older, and you find out he studied abroad in Paris. I think of a lot of times when we meet someone, we're really enamored with them, and you th- he's talking about he went to this school for when he studied abroad and lived with a host family and put together the story that you ended up kind of putting him on this pedestal, which I could relate to because when I was younger, I met someone and dated someone who was around six years older than I am and always felt like I wasn't his equal because he was older and more sophisticated. And so while you're talking about this, it hit home to me because I've been there and could relate. But then as you start to grow into your own person, after you get married, 
you kind of find out that that when he studied abroad, it, it wasn't as magical and as significant as you thought. And it's interesting as this concept of magic, how what you think you're seeing versus the reality of the situation. But can we talk about when you graduated, you got this opportunity to sell these fancy doorknobs in <laughs> London, which I, I mean, the odd, the odd like, things life throws at you. Yeah, I know. I, like, good for you. Cause you're like, I want to travel and you found the opportunity, but can you talk about that time period? Cause you were still dating, but you were trying to navigate long distance. And I think a lot of listeners who are in long distance relationships kind of go through that push pull that you went through initially. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, especially when it, it, when you just try to simplify and like as black and white as possible. Like I did have this very clear dream of, I want to live abroad. Um, And then I meet my ex-husband and it kind of derails that because then I'm so enamored with this other person. I kind of almost like throw my dreams aside for a second because I'm like, you're my dream now. You're, you're amazing. And yes, I'm not only going to put you on a pedestal, I'm going to build it. And then I'm going to like shine that pedestal every night. Like that is how much I think of you. Um, And as that sheen starts to wear away, as you become older and wiser and you start to, you know, the, the the appeal wears off slightly as you realize things and kind of wisen up of like, maybe this person is, is great, but are they great for me? Um, those are two very separate things, how you feel about someone and how that someone makes you feel. And when I got the opportunity to, to move to London, which as you said, was a job selling very expensive doorknobs, nothing I was interested in, um, not what I had studied. It almost made no sense. But the second they said London, I was in. And I really didn't hesitate because at that time I was 22. And even though I was like very much uh, in love and very enamored with my boyfriend, I put my own personal dream first at that moment. I I had a choice of like, it was, I pretty much knew if I go, there's a high chance we're not going to make it. And I had to agree to stay there for a year, but in my head, like it could be longer. Who knew, you know? Um, and I very, very clearly was like, I choose me. I I don't want to ever look back and think, what if I hadn't done this? And And I remember thinking, uh, you know, if we can't survive this, like if this person is really meant to be in my life, then it will work out. If we can't survive this, there are certainly harder things down the road ahead that we wouldn't be able to survive, um, which turns out I was correct. Not only did we <laughs> break up during that time period, but then, you know, we are now divorced. But so. you broke up almost more than halfway through the experience. Like he knew you were going to come back to New York and still yeah. ended the relationship, which that for me was the first, like, that's weird because he also didn't have a normal job. It's not like he was stationed in New York. He was constantly traveling as well. Oh, yeah, he was traveling all the time. I don't think our breakup actually had anything to do with the distance. I mean, we're, you know, we're divorced now. It was more about we weren't a compatible couple. Um, and, and as I say in my book, he was a lot more willing to accept that than I was. I was so... Um, you know, I'm a fighter. Like I fight for what I love and what I believe in. You know, it took me 20 years to get to France, but I got here, you know, like it, uh, I I'm a fighter. And so despite 
how many differences we really had. I was always like, that's okay. Differences are good. Differences are challenging. Like I like challenges. It's, you know, it makes us more interesting. It's, it's, it's fun. Um, you know, it was, it, it was that in me that was sort of like, I'm going to fight for this relationship, even though it's kind of hard and complicated. And, you know, I kept fighting for it till the very end. And like, you know, it, it's why I became so grateful eventually. And when, when my husband did eventually say, I want a divorce, like, I was just like, okay, like I am actually exhausted yeah. from how hard I have fought for this for so long that I am actually just like, I'm ready to throw in the towel and just exit the building. So there was moments when I was listening to the book because I'm a big walker and love to listen to Audible. And I would see myself like my heart rate used to like get a little bit more aggravated. And when there were aspects of the book where I could tell that you were shrinking and shrinking yourself. And I've heard you talk about this on a few other interviews, but it really resonated with me. And I think that others who either listen to this episode or read your book, it can relate to them as well. Because women do a phenomenal job of shrinking ourselves, especially in relationships. Because like you said, you were a fighter, you love this person, you want to make it work, but at what cost? And it seems that you start to like mold yourself to fit into the relationship, diminishing your confidence and like really removing and compromising like your desires and needs um, to align with him and what he needed. I mean, you were his assistant for so many years. But again, you're like, I didn't go to school for this. This isn't what I had dreamt of doing, but you did it to make the relationship really work. Um, personally, there's also aspects where I was like, there was breadcrumb situations. The one that came to mind was you guys were that last year marriage, his apartment, you had never touched, which I'm looking at your background now, and I'm sure you have beautiful taste and you wanted to make it a home, not full like magic memorabilia and accessories. It's the only thing I can kind of think of, but he had said, yes, go ahead. Let's redecorate. But it took six months. Did you feel yourself shrinking a little bit? Because you guys started off the first time you went on tour with him and every day at 12 o'clock, you guys were screaming. I love everyone in this car or wherever you were, which I was like, that's adorable. You guys keep supporting each other and telling each other how much you love each other. But by the end, you kept going on these trips and you would rather watch movies than go do exploring with you. Did you feel that kind of starting to happen throughout your relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think it is, it's normal in many ways. And that's kind of why I like, you know, very honestly explained how how different those things can look. Um, there are some relationships that always maintain that initial excitement and support and I love you and everything's wonderful. But, you know, when I looked back and I said, you know, that that first trip showed me exactly what was required for that to be our resting state. And it was for me to have nothing of my own. That first trip worked so perfectly. And we were shouting, I love you every day because I wasn't asking for anything because I didn't even know that I wanted anything yet. And I was just so happy to be with this person that I was, you know, enamored with and doing something with him that I didn't care that it wasn't for me, that I didn't care that I wasn't making any choices, that I didn't care that I didn't have any say. I was just along for the ride. And 
you know, things start to fall apart as you, you know, read or listen to as, you know, four years later when we're on a very similar type of trip. But now I'm like, I would like to stop and get some pictures. I have my own business. I can't, I'm not just going to sit and applaud and watch your show every night in the front row. I have my own work to do. I'm going to be outside writing, you know, I'll be in when you need me, but then I'm going to be out doing my own stuff. Um, I'd like to pick the restaurant. I'd like to pick this. You know, I'd, I'd like to choose where we're spending our day off. Um, I, I say I changed. I don't necessarily actually think that my ex-husband changed that much throughout the course of our relationship. I started to realize what I wanted and I started to ask for it. And, and I'm so glad I did because I wouldn't have wanted to spend the rest of my life sitting with my lips shut in the passenger seat, nodding and saying whatever you want and applauding and cheering and never doing anything for myself. Yeah. It's almost like you live a half life when you're in that situation and you, from your writing and just even hearing you speak, you're never been like a half life kind of person. Everything you do, you really celebrate to the fullest. And one of those things that I loved and I've never heard anyone else really talk about it is birthdays. I am a massive birthday person. I grew up similar to you where you would wake up and your room was decorated from your family with like handmade signs. I call my birthday a national holiday. That's how like my friends refer to it. Everyone knows that. I even did custom merch for a birthday that everyone got. So when you were talking about these birthdays, and yours is right after Valentine's Day. I'm like, oh my gosh, how amazing is that? You can really celebrate it's Valentine's Day is the other holiday I absolutely love. But it seemed like you and your family used to really celebrate these things because you want to celebrate the person you love or the people in your life. And that just never seemed to happen in your relationship. I know for me, I've been let down by romantic partners who I'm not married to. On my birthday, I'm like, come on, you know, this is like the day. How are you not? Just get on the bandwagon. It's one day. Yeah. And he was always away for a magic show or couldn't really even get that excited when I think you guys were in Joshua Tree for a birthday for yours. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it, it really broke my heart. So I guess my question is, how are you doing with your birthdays now? Because I know you have <laughs> a new love in your life. And I just want to make you. sure the last few birthdays <laughs> have like made up for it. Look, I don't think anyone is prepared to celebrate my birthday on the level on which I would do it on oh, my own. I am. But, so the, I got the you. The important thing is like the person you're with, you know, maybe they don't they wouldn't personally choose this for themselves, right? They don't care about birthdays or whatever it is that your passion is. But when someone is really loving and supporting you, the hope is that they they embrace what makes you you. And the parts that are wonderful, the parts that are difficult, the parts that are maybe a little bit eccentric, like considering your birthday a national holiday, like they should ideally and hopefully just want to embrace what makes you excited and happy and and shine because if someone loves you then like when they should be wanting you to just be your happiest shining self all the time um so what was always frustrating to me was not i need you to spend tons of money and be here and throw me a giant party it was just like 
just understand that this is important to me. And I just want to feel like it's important to you because so many things that are important to our partners, I think it's so common that us as women, we take that on. Okay. This is, this is what matters to you more than anything. Yes. I'm here for it. I'm going to learn everything there is to learn about football or basketball or magic or whatever it is. I want your passion to be my passion. And that should be reciprocated. And, you know, that became very important to me moving into, you know, a new relationship was like, I never want to feel like what makes me me is not being embraced by the person I'm with. And that I'm there just became things I realized, like, I will never sacrifice or shrink this part of myself again. And one of the biggest ones was just what makes me excited? When do I, you know, suddenly become 10 years old again, because I'm so happy and overwhelmed and excited. And I never want to have to suppress that because someone else thinks it's ridiculous or over the top or silly. Uh, You know, the person you love shouldn't make you reduce who you are. I love that you were so open and vulnerable about your experience with therapy. I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to take that initial step. For you, it seemed like your therapy sessions initially started as couples therapy, that you guys agreed the second time you were going to see a therapist together, that you guys were really going to work on that. And initially it started as couples, but then he started attending less and less, but you kept going. And your therapist, you felt like you were able to share everything, stuff that you were hiding from friends and family, which I think when you're in an unhappy relationship, you often do because you don't want the people closest to you to treat them differently or have opinions about what you're doing. Uh, You were able to share things with your therapist that you yourself maybe hadn't said out loud or wanted to admit but can you talk about your relationship with your therapist and how that influenced your journey? Because I think it's really important for people to hear. Yeah, it changed everything for me. Um, I And I'm very grateful the way it happened was serendipitous that we started going together. And then, um, like you, you know, said, he didn't basically have time anymore. And my therapist was very much like, well, can you still come on your own? Um, and he actually agreed. He was like, that would be good for you to have some extra help. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I was so grateful because I, I could then speak to someone who saw my relationship in action. I didn't have to like be trying to describe this character of my ex-husband. She witnessed us interact. She witnessed how I, behaved in his presence, how our, you know, how our treatment of each other was. Um, So she kind of already knew exactly what was going on without me having to, you know, waste time trying to tell her. And, and then it was just wonderfully freeing to kind of be able to say anything I wanted to someone and to have someone call me out. Like the problem with only using our friends or our siblings or our parents as therapists is it's pretty unlikely that they're going to just like tell you what they really think and what's going on. Because again, they don't want to have weird feelings between you and this person. They don't want, it, it, it's it's a tricky thing. Like actually tell someone you love how you feel, especially if the reality is harsh. 
Um, and I would talk to my sisters about my ex-husband all the time, but we would end up laughing, you know, they, they're trying to make me feel better. So I would, you know, the, the chapter in my book, that's 2017 highlights. Like when I realized that my ex-husband has put up this photo album of all his best moments of the year, and I don't appear in this album, it hurt me so bad. And I tell my sisters, but we end up cracking up, you know, we end up making a joke out of it. We're like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, ha ha ha, you know, you weren't even noted, like not a single picture of you. Like we're laughing because they just want to make me feel better. They're not trying to make me feel worse by being like, this is messed up and this is not okay. So, you know, you end up laughing things off and then, and then just convincing yourself it's fine or it's funny or blah, blah, blah. Um, and my therapist was, wouldn't let me do that. You know, she, she would call out everything that was really messed up and kind of forced me to recognize that these things were real and not to be joked about and that were deeply affecting and hurting me. And, and that was a big wake up call. Well, also going back to the social media thing, you started your initial blog in 2010, and then you really started the Instagram and your new blog uh, in 2015. And while after I read your book, I did some Instagram stalking as some people do and really start to scroll back through Instagram posts, both of you and just like individuals in your life to kind of see these stories that you were talking about, seeing like what the posts were just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I've been hurt where I've been in a relationship and I posted, we were out or this event and I would tag the person in it and they would untag. So they're just like, I don't want people to know where I'm at or whatever. And that was hurtful, but let alone you traveling. And it got to the point where you were able to make all these deals to get you guys great hotel experiences or excursions. And your ex is taking pictures like, oh, look where I'm at and not even giving you like a shout out or credit or promoting what you were working on as like a supportive partner. So I was mad for you years later. So the fact that you were able to kind of try to laugh it off, but deep down, I'm sure you were hurting inside as the majority of people would be. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. I didn't, um, I didn't necessarily need like public credit. Like that didn't bother me. I just felt, I just felt invisible. Yeah. Um, I was much more just like, I remember, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a small weird thing, but like when you're constantly with someone, um, and, and I mean, this has even happened to me with, with, you know, friends that I've been on trips with in, in years past. And it's just like, will you take a picture of me here? Will you take a picture of me here? And and I'm like, well, we are together though. Like, couldn't we just... <laughs> yeah. But, and I always felt weird as a couple because I was like, we would have zero pictures together. And this was before I was Instagramming and, and taking pictures. Like, I was always just taking pictures um, of him in a place. And I always felt like... It it was strange that it was never like, oh, well, let's get a picture together. Um, yeah. And like that, that started to bother me because I just felt like I was in, invisible on, you know, invisible in someone else's eye of just like not wanting like, the, you know, someone doesn't really I don't know the the proper words exactly it's it's hard to describe but like you just feel like am I even here like do you even realize that we're doing this together or are you just so used to always doing this by yourself that I'm just sort of like this add-on that's now here but it's 
I'm your assistant taking the picture of you. And I didn't yeah. mean, like credit like, oh, thanks, Anna, for doing this. It's more like, check out my wife's amazing Instagram around traveling or just like promoting you the same way that you always seem to have promoted him. That, I yeah, guess, is I where just clarify. I felt, um, and, and uh, yeah, I, what I needed at that point in my life when I was starting this new thing and, you know, again, this was 2015, like Instagram was nothing like it is now. I didn't know what this could be. I truly just started it to try to get traffic to a blog, to attract, um, readers, to try to get a book deal about, you know, uh, uh, the more readers you have and you can say, all right, can this, you know, translate into a book proposal? And, uh, I just needed support. I just needed someone being like, you're amazing. What you're building is amazing. Love what you're doing. Like, this is great. How can I, how can I help? I'm so happy for you that you're finally doing something for yourself. That's what I needed. And, um, to not receive that wholeheartedly from, you know, the people you love most can be really hard. And it made me doubt my own, you know, my own worth, my own talent. You're already, you know, when you jump into something that like, you know, I don't have classical training as a photographer or nor a writer nor anything. So I'm already feeling a bit of imposter syndrome, right? Of like, I'm not even using a, a proper DSLR camera to take these pictures. So then when someone else is making you feel like you're not even doing something worthwhile, um, it was very hard to continue doing it because it was just like a constant struggle. Um, and again, a lot of it was my therapist pointing out to me, like, what you've built is amazing. Like, you've built yourself a whole thing. Like, why are you not proud of it? Why are you not giving that your everything? You know, it was her who said to me right after my divorce when I was like, what am I going to do for work? She was like, you need to dive whole head into what you built. You've been dipping your toes in, but you need to dive head first and give it your all. And I was like, I honestly didn't think that it could ever be anything. So, you know, it is, it's really hard when you don't have the support from the people whose opinion really, really matters to you. Absolutely. And especially when you're doing something that's a hobby or that makes you happy. I think deep down, you knew it could have been something, but when you, like you said, you don't have the person who's really your big support system next to you cheering you, building you up, saying, go for it. Like, let's see where this can go. It's hard to believe in yourself and your own magic. But the people you did have around you was your family. And I love how you talk about how close you guys were, especially your sisters. But one aspect I really want to talk about is the day you found out your husband wanted divorce, you lost your relationship, your home, your job, you kind of hit rock bottom, you went mute for a bit and just got into a car and went to your sister and brother-in-law's apartment in New York. You were also living in New York. But that night after you were laying on the couch, really in your feelings, your late brother-in-law, Nick, said, best day ever. And it's kind of a weird thing to say to someone who just had everything pulled out. But then he doubled down and said, he was holding you back. He was holding you back from the person that you should be, from the work that you should be doing. And it was this beautiful moment between you two. Can you talk about what that meant in that moment? Because 
no one else in your family was that worried about you rebuilding yourself, which maybe in hindsight makes you realize like I was going to be okay. But in that moment, you probably did not think you were. No, in that moment, I mean, I literally thought, you know, I don't even want to wake up tomorrow. Like, what is my life going to be now? It was so, uh, it was so many things. I was so embarrassed. Um, You know, no one wants to, it's one thing to be like, we decided to separate. It's another to be like, he actually just left. Like, he's out. I I wanted to keep working on this, but he just doesn't love me anymore. Like that is so hard. And, and, uh, I, I was so upset and just so like, I really didn't know what was going to become of my life, but I certainly wasn't thinking, you know, this is a great thing. Um, but it was crazy to see how the people around me knew this was actually a good thing. And, you know, when you're kind of feeling at your worst and your lowest, it can be really helpful to kind of like try to remove yourself from your own feelings and like take a look at the people who really love and know you. Um, Because like you said, no one was really that worried. Everybody was worried about me, of course. You never want to see your daughter or your sister crying, but Nobody was like behind closed doors, like, oh God, what is she going to do? You know, everybody was actually like, I can't wait to see what she does next. You know, this is going to suck for a while. And then when she, you know, when, when, when whatever power kicks in, she's going to be unstoppable. And, um, and Nick said that to me because he had known, he had been saying to my sister for a long time, like this relationship isn't going to work. She was always saying she is outgrowing that relationship and it's not going to work long-term. And when it ends, I can't wait to see what she does because it's holding her back actually. And, uh, you know, to have someone tell you that was just, you know, best day ever. I was like, huh, funny, but, um, but I, I look back on it truly as the best day ever. Cause it was the day that I got control of my life back and, decided to just, you know, embrace my own power and start taking steps toward the life that I actually wanted instead of the life I had accepted. I want to talk about the cover of the book and listeners, I'll put a picture of it up on the Instagram page. So when I first saw it, I thought that it was a reference to the pink glitter that you blew all over your (laughs) ex's apartment when you finally were leaving to go to Paris. So a little insight you were able to stay in the apartment during the divorce you redecorated and you talked about how he hated glitter and you were never allowed to bring in anything filled with glitter anything on it clothing whatever it was in the apartment but before you moved out and moved to Paris you blew a bunch of pink small pieces of glitter throughout the apartment kind of leaving your magic and originally that's what I thought the cover was referenced to, but I later learned that it was having to do with your aura. Can you talk about how you decided to land with this image for the cover? Yeah, the the cover was really important to me. Um, You know, I really wanted it to, to speak to what the story is about, which is, you know, kind of about transformation and moving forward. And um, the picture itself uh, is, it is me. Uh, It's an image that was actually taken 
right after the hot air balloon landed that is in the hoodwinked chapter of my book, which in writing, I kind of looked back as the first time that I really accepted that this relationship wasn't working. You know, there were so many times I was wanting to believe it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. And that writing that that day was pretty much, I think the first time I really realized I am not going to ever really be able to soar and, and, you know, go after my dreams as long as I'm chained. And so it was taken that day, but then I took the image and kind of removed the whole background and then uh, made like a, I did it myself in, in Canva. <laughs> I, I designed the book cover. Um, I, I kind of like used this effect that like doubled it. And I wanted to show that transformation. So I, you know, the picture is all like pink and yellow from that day. I'm wearing this like pink and yellow dress and the sun was very pink because the sunrise. So then I went to LA and I had my aura photographed and wanted to see just like what my current, you know, vibe was giving off, like what my actual energy uh, translates to color wise. Cause I mean, this is, this is science. It's a special machine that you touch and like your actual energy is captured in color. And uh, I got the full explanation that it was primarily, you know, green and uh, blue with like touches of yellow. So I took those colors and like put them over the other, the secondary image that I'm like walking toward um, and use those both together as, as the book cover to really show that transformation as to, you know, who you can, where I was headed that day, ultimately. I can see it now, the layering as I'm literally looking at it and it's beautiful. So I'll put a really good detailed picture so people can see it. So this is obviously the first book you wrote solo. You also co-wrote a book with your sister, Amanda, about her relationship and Nick's battle with COVID-19. And actually, after I read your book, I bought the Audible of your book together, uh, Live Your Life. And it was just so beautiful. And I heard that you guys spent six months kind of working on it, going back and forth while you were in Paris. She was in LA writing it. While your book ultimately was more of a longer, multiple year journey. What was really the difference between writing for you that book since it wasn't necessarily your story to tell um but helping your sister kind of tell their story um and then writing your own book you know what was really beautiful is i i had already started my book um and i kind of actually you know put it on pause when i then moved in when i moved out to la to live with my sister during that time because she needed help with with her baby and just because, you know, she just needed emotional support. Um, So I kind of put my life on pause and because I was there for all of it, uh, when she was approached about writing a book, you know, she said, I'm, I'm not a writer, but my, but my sister is, and she's been here for all of this. And I would have never imagined I could write anybody else's story, but because I had lived so much of it day in and day out with her. And it's because my sister who like, we're basically connected at the head anyway, like we'll, we'll say the exact same thing. We often show up wearing the same outfit, you know, we're kind of like, we share the same brain. Um, And we lived through this very traumatic 
you know, beautiful, terrible thing together. And we were in New York together for so many of those years that like, while it wasn't my actual story, I lived a lot of it with her and, you know, alongside her. And when it came time to write that, we both, uh, I mean, I was in a second lockdown here in Paris. LA was still pretty much in, you know, total isolation as well. And we were really processing everything that had just happened. You know, everything changed so fast in a matter of three months. And then you're left with like, okay, this is my reality now. And it almost felt unreal. And every day that we were living through that was so chaotic and crazy and stressful and complicated that it was a really beautiful process to sit and just reflect on it and retell it and remember details and try to find, you know, find new meaning in everything that happened and and try to understand and come to terms with the ending, which is not what we wanted, you know, not the outcome you're hoping for. But it was it was a really beautiful process. And while initially we had thought we were supposed to be together, you know, we were initially like, this isn't going to work if we're on two different continents. It was actually beautiful because someone was writing 24 hours a day, more or less, like the nine hour time difference between LA and, and, you know, Paris, like I would write all day. And just around the time I would be like, okay, I'm turning in. I would send the chapters off to Amanda who would then be waking up and open them up. And then she would spend all day looking at them, reading them, changing this, writing something new and turn it back around to me. And it was, I think without that, there's no way that would have been written in six months. Um, But it was a beautiful process. It's a beautiful book. And I can only imagine that your nephew Elvis, when he gets old enough, will so appreciate having that for him to understand that time and also just to see the love of the community that he's been going to be brought up in come together and support not only him, but his dad and his mom. So I would definitely encourage listeners to check out that book too. You and your book kind of starting with everything that happened with the pandemic, but what's going on now in your life? Several years later, you had an adorable meet cute with a neighbor that turned into amazing relationship but can you just give us a little update on what's life like for you now and any future projects you're working on? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's crazy is today's August 28th. Um, so I know what tomorrow is. The 29th is my, uh, my ex wedding anniversary, which I, which I write about as taking that day back and giving it a new purpose. So I actually spent today planning like what fun things am I going to do tomorrow for, you know, what I consider to be like, two I have two Paris versaries but like that's the day I decided to move here so it's always a day that I love to celebrate just like me making that big bold choice um but yeah I have I have another book in the works of course um which is you know what that what that life looks like that book ends with me kind of finally getting here but then what does it actually look like to move your whole life abroad make new friends, start a new, you know, start your own businesses, plural, 
meet a new person when you least expect it, you know, get divorced in front of the sparkling Eiffel Tower. Uh, it sort of is, is all those stories. Um, Amanda and I have worked together to adapt Live Your Life into a screenplay. Um, so we are working with the production team in LA on that and still hoping that, you know, if we find the right person to help us make that a reality, that that could potentially be um, a feature film one day. Um, and I have a couple of businesses that I run on my own. I have uh, a print shop and that I take travel photos everywhere I'm going and put them on, you know, prints for the wall and now phone cases. Um, I'm always kind of doing a billion things. I, I really still love travel more than anything. And so I'm taking every opportunity I can to, you know, work with any brands that, I'm lucky enough to be hired by to travel and help tell the story of a destination or a hotel or an experience um, and really share that because I, I believe so passionately in just the power of exploring new things and challenging yourself and seeing new, new countries and cities and having experiences that really impact you. So I'm always, I'm, I'm on the road a lot, <laughs> but I'm I'm doing what I love. Well, congratulations on the next book. I'm very excited for when it's finished to add it to my collection and hopefully have you back on the show to talk about it. I hope the screenplay gets made. It's a beautiful story that definitely deserves to come to a streaming service or a screen near anyone. And then just really, you're so inspirational. I know when I spoke with you last time and I was in the middle of the book, you made me want to just buy a ticket to go travel and to really believe in all the crazy ideas I have, not only for this podcast, but in my life, because you've taken such leaps and shown that if you really believe in something you're passionate about and really fills your soul to keep going, I think a lot of us allow fear or money or you know, what's going to happen if it's going to fail, but you really just dove in head first. And I think your story is so inspirational to so many people. So thank you for being so open and vulnerable and sharing it with all of us. I end every episode with the final three questions. And the first question I ask is if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? Um, it's in my book. It's a, it's a quote that says, uh, and the day came when the risk to remain, or the the risk to remain tight in a bud, was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Um, and I think about that all the time of how long I just stayed with that pain because I was too afraid of, of you know what the risk would be of going off on my own. And you know, thank goodness, thank goodness I did. Yes. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose? That is so hard because there are truly so many. Um, the first one that comes to my mind is would be the, the first day I ever landed here with my sister at 18, at 18. I would love to relive my first ever day in Paris, especially, you know, now as living here four years uh, being so much older and wiser, you know, not really, but <laughs> I would love to be here at 18 again for the first time. And then the last question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? 
I think I have one. <laughs> like this, uh, it, I mean, Abba, Dancing Queen. I think it pretty much, everyone in my community, I think would, would pop that up right away. It's pretty much become my theme song. I love Abba and uh, there's nothing like those opening chords of Dancing Queen. So I'm going to add that to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify so listeners can hear your theme song along with everyone else. And Anna, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with me, for giving us your story. And I'm just so excited to see what's next for you. Thank you. Thank you so much.